Ethan's going to come now and read for us. And you'll notice that what we're about to read is deliberately the same Bible reading that we read this time last week. And so would you turn in Hebrews chapter 10? And we're going to start reading at verse 26 in just a moment. And if you have your own Bible, it'll help to turn to it. And Ethan's going to come and read now for us. Chapter 10, verses 26 to 39. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But we, but we recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a, f- a, a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your properties since you knew that yourself had a better position and a binding one. Therefore, you do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that, you, so that when you have done with the will of God, you, will, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But if we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So open your Bible to Hebrews and chapter 10. I signal to you that we're taking a second look at this powerful section from Hebrews 10 this weekend. Um, Because in it, the the writer to the Hebrews, well, he issues one of the the reddest warnings, one of the severest warnings to Christians, those who would turn their back on Christ. And, And that's the specific issue that he's addressing here with that general description. Have a look at it in verse 26. Those who go on sinning deliberately. Really what he's talking about are traitors, those who turn their backs on Christ. And they can expect, look at the text, a fearful expectation of judgment, the fury of fire that will consume the enemies. Now that warning, and here's what we looked at last week, that warning is quickly accompanied by a sincere reminder in verses 32 to 34. You see, they'd already endured such a lot for their allegiance to Christ. And they had done so because they kind of weighed it up and they thought, you know what? Um, Allegiance 
The worth of that allegiance to Christ, well, it's rightly, it's better than the value of anything else we own. And so they were able to say goodbye to their property, should they have to, for the sake of Christ. Everything was not, nothing to compare with the value of knowing Christ. And then thirdly came that prompt to look forward. Look to the future, verses 35 to 39. Scan your eyes over that. Keep going so that, and look at the words, you may receive what is promised, verse 36. In other words, live by faith, Christians. In the meantime, even if you suffer, no matter what happens, live by faith. Don't give up. Don't ring the bell. You remember the the picture last week, the bell that Navy SEAL recruits are told to ring if they want to give up during the demands of that training. Don't ring the bell. Now, eventually, the writer says this. Look at verse 39. Have a look at it. At the end of this section, he says, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. You get that sense of confidence, don't you, in the writer as he writes these things. We're not of those who shrink back. We are not going to be those who ring the bell. And yet the severity of the warning, the urgency of the the call to keep going, to persevere, um, to look forward and think about what we have to gain in the future, all that shows us very plainly that every Christian has a decision to make. If you're a Christian, you have a decision. And so here's a very, very practical question I'd love us to consider today. And it's this. How? How will I keep going? How will we keep going? That's the question we're going to look at from this passage. When the reality is, and it's very clearly in the context here, that some will turn away and shrink back, they will head towards destruction, how will we be any different? How will we be those who keep going, those who have faith and therefore preserve their souls? How? Well, you'll see embedded in the text of of this section four very practical things to think through. So that's that's where we're going today. Four practical ways that we can think about keeping going as Christians. Here's number one. Number one, we're going to need to understand the need for corporate support. We're going to need to understand the team of us, church speaking, team of us. Local churches are vital. Gathering like this is vital. Now, the fact that the writer speaks, and he's, he's not talking about privileged individuals who have a Christian faith on their own, but you'll see again and again here, He's talking about those who have faith, and it's very deliberate, that collective language. Look again at the middle of chapter 10. Look at verse 24. Remember that verse just before the section we've looked into last week? And let us consider, the writer says, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. How are we going to keep going? Well, by understanding our need for each other, people sitting beside you right now, the need to keep meeting together, that constant gathering is vital. If we're going to carry out those specific instructions, have a look again at verse 24. 
What were the specific instructions? Well, considering how to stir up, how to provoke one another, not negatively like you poke your sister, but with what we've called in the past love friction, with love and good works, provoking each other positively to love and good works. You see, local churches with that love friction are vital for the sake of your perseverance and my perseverance as a Christian. And you see, this is important to state, isn't it? Because we live in a world where we have the benefit from talks and books and conferences and parachurch organizations and ministries beyond Black Rock, beyond the local church. We have the huge benefit of tapping into those. But our health as a Christian, the Bible says, is linked to regular participation in the local body of believers, in the church. And so my appeal to you, it's a biblical one, whether you're here or on the live stream, we need to understand our need for this corporate support at every opportunity. Now I know that's something that many of you have already understood and decided, because we can see already in, in these couple of years the difference it's made in Black Rock. Those who have decided and understood the value of the corporate gathering. However, if you're making the choice not to come to church, and this happens us all from time to time, even the pastor wonders, well, I go to church today. That might shock you. It shouldn't. But when we make that choice and, and something flips in our mind, will I come to church? Will I gather? If I decide not to come to church, I'm actually undermining my ability to keep going as a Christian. That's what I'm doing. And there are only a few exceptions when this temporary decision might be considered, well, reasonable. Maybe illness, the two lines, remember, you don't want to come to church if you're going to spread coronavirus. Maybe if you're caring for someone or if you're away on holiday or a last-minute emergency. Yes, yes. But you see, perhaps even more seriously here in Hebrews 10, we need to understand that a decision not to come to church affects everyone else too. It affects the people sitting around us. It actually undermines their ability to keep going as Christians. And so that decision is, a, if we make it not to come, it's a very, very, very dangerous business. Of course, I'm preaching to the choir. You're all here. But I think it's true, and I was trying to think of an analogy for this. Um, my brothers recently got a beehive. I was often wondering, what do they do in the winter, the bees? Well, I reckon if they all leave the hive during a cold spell, they'll all die. I don't know, I'm not a bee expert. I'll have to ask my brother afterwards, has he come across that? You see, bees won't do that, will they? They'll, they'll cluster together in that little hive, even in the cold spell, and then eventually when spring and the flowers of summer come, then they'll go. But they will stay together and they will gather, and they will come back, or else they'll all die. It's not legalistic to go to church every Sunday. In fact, it's a biblical mandate. It's vital. Is it always easy or convenient? No, no way. Is it, will it always suit my mood or expectations for the weekend? Never, no. Will I always feel it was worth the effort? No way. And remember, this is back to verse 24 of chapter 10, and the responsibility of us stirring up others. You see, church going isn't in the first instance meant to suit us. The Bible doesn't ever tell us 
to suit ourselves, does it? You see, that's, that's the mandate from the world around us. It says, suit yourself. Do what you want. Be happy. And it's a very loud and persuasive one. But the Bible says, stir up one another to love and good works, to encourage each other increasingly. And, and that was the other thing that struck me from that verse. He doesn't just say to kind of do it on, on this level plane, but do it more and more, increasingly, all the more as you see the day drawing near. Churches, and, and here's, here's another picture for you. Churches are like Christ allegiance rallies. And we've seen the rallies of people going onto the street, their support for the people of Ukraine. And churches are a little bit like that. And that voice doesn't diminish as we get older and more mature as Christians, but actually we spill out into the streets and we come and we gather more and more. The more we grow old, the more mature we get. Are there other ways to spend Sundays? Any number of options. And the fact that most people in your families and among your friends don't go to church will make any resolve like this priority to gather even harder for you. But it's vital and prioritize it we must. Sacrifice other things and go to church, absolutely. Let's keep going. How? Well, by getting this commitment to gathering straightened out in our minds and our practice. And we need to hear this biblical plea to come together every single week. How will I keep going? Well, that was the first practical thing. Here's the second very practical way that, that comes at us through this section. We're gonna to need to decide which authorities will take precedence in our beliefs and actions. I'll say that again. We're gonna to need to decide there are lots of authorities in our lives, but we're gonna to need to decide which ones will take precedence in our beliefs and actions. Now, this is very, very practical, and I'm indebted to George Guthrie for his insights on how important this is to keep going as a Christian. But you and I must be very clear on which of the authorities in our lives will override the others. Now, I hope you can see there's a, a page sitting somewhere around about you. This is a diagram that George Guthrie includes in his commentary on Hebrews. If you can grab one, there's a few spares here if you need to get one. Have a look at that um, little box that's split into four sections for a moment. And I think you'll find it's very helpful. Take this home and think about it, chew on it. Well, not actually, but you know what I mean. Think about this. You see, the different forces or authorities that influence us in the decisions that you and I make every day, all the time, can be shown in this diagram. Now, so look at the top. There are the divine authorities. So divine is the word at the top. And then at the bottom, the human authorities. Okay, so we all have divine and human authorities. We'll, we'll talk about those in a minute. And then if you look at each side, those can be divided again into internal and external authorities. Okay, so clear enough so far, there's divine and human, internal and external authorities. Well, look at box A then, right at the top. Most Christians would place the Holy Spirit here in box A, because the Holy Spirit is a divine authority, it's God himself, and it also dwells inside believers. So Christians have an indwelling of the Holy Spirit, internal, divine and yet internal. Now look at box B to the, to the side of that. Now we would put the Bible in this box because it's a divine authority, it's from God, the Bible is the word of God, we say it so often, the Bible says it itself, 
And yet the Bible isn't inside us, is it? It's outside of us. And it, it needs to be interpreted rightly. But it's an authority in our lives if we're Christians. Okay, so we've got A and B. They're divine authorities, internal and external. But what about D, just below B there? Now, human authorities that are external to us, outside of us. So things like the laws that we follow, uh, the highway code, the rules of the road, the Constitution of Ireland, 1937, the government, parents, elders in church. And of course, these are human authorities, so they're in some sense human, and yet they're outside of ourselves. Now, of course, we know that those who govern us, and we say this quite a lot and we pray, they're under God's sovereignty, so there's a sense in which they could move into the gray area here between human and divine. And yet, in another sense, they're human authorities. God has given them this authority. Another interesting one in this box D would be cultural norms around us, or the things that society accepts. You wouldn't quite call it an authority, but it actually has an authoritative influence on the decisions we make. It really does influence how people behave and what they do, what the culture around us is doing. So it's also in box D. Now look at box C then. These are internal human authorities. Your emotions. They're inside of you, aren't you? You can feel them. Sadness. You can feel overwhelming sense of joy. Your emotions. Happiness. Well, lots of people are driven by those powerful, internal, but human um, authorities in their decision making. Your conscience is also in that area C as well. Now, so what's all this got to do with keeping going as a Christian, you might ask? Well, if we're to keep going as Christians, I want you to think about it. We're gonna, tr we're gonna have to try with all the authorities that are in our lives, if we're Christians, we're gonna have to, and Guthrie puts it this way, to live our lives from the top of this grid down, from the top down. In other words, the human authorities must be considered in the light of divine authority, that of God. And so think about the decisions I'm faced every day how to live my life. Everyone around me thinks nothing of saying, oh my God, when they exclaim or something happens. It happens 10 a penny in any given day. That's a cultural norm, isn't it? And it's quite overwhelming. But as a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives within me. God, the Holy Spirit. The Bible warns me about misusing God's name, using it in a common way. And so I decide not to make that my practice. God's authority, you see, over my life overrules, takes precedence over a human authority, that powerful cultural influence. It's interesting, isn't it? So if you think about any decision that you'll have to make this week, today, in this grid, and ask yourself, well, which one is overruling? Who do I start a relationship with? How or will I pay my taxes? How do I treat other people? What will I do in my spare time? Where will my money go? What about my decisions about sex? How will I reckon with what's right and what's wrong? So the question must be, which authorities will take precedence in my life and your life? Now Christians who, who either don't decide on this consistently or who relegate God's authority, imagine asking God to get into the back seat, away from the driver's seat, 
And sometimes that happens in the way we make decisions. I know what the Bible says, but actually, God, I'm driving. And if we do that, if we relegate God's authority, we will not keep going as as authentic Christians in anything else but name. We'll be Christians in name only. And maybe not even that. And so what about the warning of Hebrews 10 that was read for us and that we've read? Well, it's, it's really meaningless, isn't it? Unless we've come to terms with God's ultimate authority in our lives because that puts the word of God over any other things that I'm feeling, over any other things that anyone else says to me, how I should live, what I should do. If the Bible is God's word, then it will come first, take precedence. And you see, I think we're in in great danger because Christians who never think deeply about who's in charge in their lives are in danger of reverting to our default setting. What's your default setting? Um, I'm always annoyed when I've set something up and it, it reverts to default because I've spent the time. Well, what's your default setting as a person and how you make decisions? Well, it's suit myself. Do what I want and the world will back that up at every turn. Decisions based on what I think is right. And so all of us from the very youngest listening in to the oldest, we've all got decisions to make. Which authority takes precedence? And then we'll have a thousand decisions to make each and every day. Very practical, isn't it, to think through some of these things. If I'm going to keep going as a Christian, understand the need for corporate support. You see, the people around you and the decisions they make, that'll help me too. Particularly if I see them living their life under God's word, under his authority. And then secondly, I'm going to have to decide that, um, both in a big way and in a little way, day to day. Who will overrule? What authorities? Now, the last two practical things, I said there were four. These last two are very short. And they arise from this part of Hebrews. And there are two questions, really, to ask yourself if you're a Christian. Look again at, at verse 39 here. The writer says, But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. So here are two questions, three and four. Ask yourself this, am I developing as a Christian? Seriously, look at the last five years. Am I developing as a Christian? Or in the language of the Bible, am I shrinking back? Am I in my Christian faith being diminished? Ask yourself, very honestly, In the context of a local church, ask someone else you trust. What do you think about my life? Do you think I'm um, developing as a Christian or am I shrinking back? Remember that reality that there are those in the first century who are turning their backs on Christ, just as there have been all through the century since. Um, Don Carson puts it like this. What's a real Christian? Well, he says, real Christianity sticks right till the end. Real Christianity keeps going. It perseveres. It doesn't turn back. It doesn't ever ring the bell. It doesn't declare I give up or give in. And so the real Christian life will involve, well, constantly looking at it and seeing my choices, turning around, repenting is the great biblical word that means going in the opposite direction. When you see through God's word, through your brothers and sisters in a local church pointing out what's going on, and then turning around. That's what being a Christian is all about. And growing as a Christian 
is all about watching our lives and our beliefs. That's what Paul said to Timothy. It's about a vigilance to spot the areas of our lives that we've made a no-go area for the Lord's reach. So ask yourself, am I developing as a Christian or am I coasting or worse, shrinking back? Now, we all have seasons of growth and seasons where things don't grow. When we've just come through the window um, or the winter, my grass is, is almost gray, you could describe it. And yet I know in a few short weeks, the, the, the sun that we've had will brighten it. It'll grow and I'll need to get the lawnmower fixed and I'll have to cut it again. You see, we all have seasons like winter in our Christian lives. We've all got seasons of growth. And yet, am I making progress? Am I developing as a Christian when all those seasons are taken as a whole? And you see, again, that underlines it, doesn't it? Keep meeting together. Keep studying the Bible. And every single time the Bible's opened, I'm challenged. How about you? And when it remains closed, well, I take my own way. How about you? You know, pray as you ask that question too. Ask the Lord for his resolve, his leading as we reflect on our growth as a Christian, individuals and as a church. Maybe we needed that severe warning or that reminder or that look forward, a glimpse of the future when it'll all be worth it when we receive what is promised. Well, one final question. Ask yourself, seriously ask it. Am I willing to declare my faith in Christ publicly. That was certainly where the Hebrews found themselves, and that's where we're at too. Reading these lines in Hebrews 10, you can just see that intense pressure Christians were under in the public sphere. Um, look at those warning verses early in that passage. You know, those who would trample underfoot the Son of God, verse 29, and later in verses 32 and 33, there's the reminder that many of them had endured public exposure to reproach or criticism. They had endured that affliction. They'd come through that. So being a Christian will mean a great cost to you. And for some of you, it already has meant a great cost and continues to. Your reputation, your image, your peers, well, they may write you off. But are you willing to declare your allegiance to Christ publicly? Are you to fly the flag of Christ when everyone's watching and when they'll mock you and even point out how your life is so inconsistent. Something happens when you take that public step. You, you cross a line in terms of Christian endurance. And you enter into the, the normal Christian life, which isn't just to, to get through. But what Paul wrote was gifted to Christians, Philippians 1. Not just to believe in Jesus, suffer for him. Now, you may or may not have to take out your phone in a moment and text your whole contacts, Christ is Lord. But you know, I watched some of the teenagers do that um, a couple of months ago as they watched the film God's Not Dead and they took their phones out and they texted their, 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 their whole phone book in their phones, God's Not Dead. You may, you may not have to do that, but part of being a Christian and keeping going will be a willingness to say that I'm a Christian, and I will suffer the consequences. Well, here they are, those four practical things to think through as we leave here today. Understand our need for corporate support. We need each other. Local churches are vital. No matter what room we're in, no matter how we have to meet, this is vital. 
Secondly, we need to decide which authorities will take precedence in my beliefs and my actions. Seriously decide that again and again. And then those two questions. Ask yourself, am I developing as a Christian or am I shrinking back? And am I willing to declare my faith in Christ publicly? Well, there are very searching applications as we look at this part of Hebrews. And we'll be moving on now to look at that great chapter of faith, understanding what it is to live by faith. Faith, if you look at chapter 11, verse 3, that understands that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. If it keeps going right to the end. Well, we're going to pray in the words of our final song in just a moment. But as Chris comes and, and gets ready to lead us in the singing of that, let's just take a moment ourselves and take some time and ask ourselves these questions and come before the Lord. Let's pray together. Father God, would you help us we consider practically how we would keep going as Christians, how in the audit of our church in 10 years' time by ourselves that we'll be able to say, you know what? We kept going. No matter what was happening, we kept following you. We kept loving each other. We kept meeting together. No matter what was thrown at us, we pray you would help us to ask those questions individually. Use your word in each of our lives and hearts this morning. Challenge us, refresh us, and help us to stand. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus Christ.